I'm Kevin Power, and this is Sascapes, the podcast featuring stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Welcome to Episode 75 of Sascapes, which marks our third season of conversations and storytelling in Saskatchewan. It's great to be back. This episode is sponsored by Sass Culture. Sass Culture is a non-profit organization that helps nurture cultural engagement in Saskatchewan. Thanks to funding from the Saskatchewan Lottery's Trust Fund for Sport, Culture and Recreation, SAS Culture is able to support many cultural groups that offer a wide range of cultural activities and communities throughout the province. For more information on all of the work being done by SAS Culture, as well as upcoming events including Culture Days, visit sasculture.ca and iheartculture.ca. Great news! Now you or your organization can sponsor your own episodes of Sascapes. Connect with us via Twitter, Facebook, or email sascapes at gmail.com, and I'll be glad to tell you more. Now on to the episode. It's said that behind every great artist there stands a great team, and part of that team is the family. In the first half of this episode, I'm joined by the parents of two performers of the wildly successful Rosie and the Riveters. In the second half of the episode, the parents of Canadian singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker join me. The topic of conversation is the key role parents play in fostering music and creativity from their children's early formative years to their ongoing support even now that they are successful artists. Well, folks, welcome to episode 75 and the first episode of season three. Yay, we've made it to the third year. Um, and kicking off this episode, uh, I have one, two, three, four, five, including myself, people around a table. Um, and we're going to talk about the importance of families in supporting the arts with their children. So I have with me Byron Olson and Sandy Normand, um, who are the parents of Faraday Olson and Alexis Normand, who are two of the singers of the fabulous Rosie and the Riveters, um, one of my favorite Saskatchewan um, bands. And uh, I just... I adore what you guys do. I adore the sensibility, the the time period you've placed yourself in. It's just my cup of tea. So um, it's exciting to finally meet two of you. And so I want to talk to Byron and Sandy about, well, first of all, Byron, I want to know about your background growing up. Were you particularly exposed to one discipline in the arts? Um, what are your early memories? Well, I did lots of building of gadgets and things when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I was a typical little geek kind right. of a kid. That uh, I made a guitar amplifier when I was eleven. So I had friends that lived in lived close to me, 
that had a band. So I got to watch them play, and so that's how I got my interest in in guitar. So right. And did your parents were they musical at all? Or yeah, my dad played mandolin. Mandolin. Yeah. Right. And fiddle. Okay. And when he grew up, uh, sort of in the they call it the homestead, which is close to Maiden. Yeah. In Saskatchewan, and his uh, three brothers also played. Okay. So they would. Uh, They'd go to country dances and they'd listen to songs mm-hmm. and they'd go home and they'd remember them and right. then they would learn them. They had good good ear training. Right. Yeah. Right. And Sandy, what about you? What are your early memories of of um, your childhood and music or any of the disciplines of the arts? Uh, I grew up on a farm in rural Saskatchewan, and uh, music was in the form of a record player and the very long stereo that was part of a piece of furniture. Right. Uh, <laughs> Those big components. Big components. With the tubes on the yes. back. Yeah. But what we did have were all of these kitchen dances. Um, a lot of polkas went on, especially to celebrate uh, finishing harvest. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I just have this memory because when you were asking that question, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to say? <laughs> I don't play any musical instruments. Uh-huh. Uh, I had to remember begging for a piano. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my father had said, um, look in this living room. Do you see where we could possibly put a piano? And besides, the TV is here. And that was the end of that discussion. (laughs) Okay, right. Yes. So uh, music for me was all about the records, I guess, and listening to eras of music that didn't necessarily appeal to me, but that's all that was there. I remember um, rejoicing in getting my very own radio that I could, you know, retreat in my bedroom and listen to what I wanted to listen to. And what was that? Back in those days, mm-hmm. oh my God, <laughs> probably like Neil Diamond. Or I remember I fell right. in love with Meatloaf for a while. Ah, okay, <laughs> we all have that moment. <laughs> <laughs> my very first record that I was ever given as a gift was the Meatloaf record. Can you believe it? Anyway, right. <laughs> next question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great that you have an association of harvest with music. Uh, yes. Yeah, there was that. Or the wintertime, too, right? Mm-hmm. Winters are long. And um, we uh, lived uh, a couple hours from my dad's circle of influence. Mm-hmm. And so when the company came, uh, we had a great big kitchen. So the furniture was all spread apart and we would have these kind of hoedown dances um, with the record player, and it would be skipping because we were, you know, jumping so hard and all right. that. But right. That was sort of the more formal part of music recognition, I guess, for uh-huh. me as a child. Uh-huh. So I'll throw this out to both of you. Um, when your daughters, Faraday and Alexis, came into your lives, can you remember the earliest or some of the early days where they started to display um, real talents and inclinations for creativity? Well, I remember when Faraday was three months old, and uh, she uh, was sort of making sounds, and I realized that she was making a minor third, an interval of a minor third, and I thought, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Likely she didn't know that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sandy, you've got to top that with Alexis hitting a (laughs) tritone. 
<laughs> Can you remember uh, early days? Yeah, I do actually. Um, well, she was three months. Uh, she was she was standing and um, on the verge of walking, but she would grip her toes into the carpet, and if there was any kind of music on, it was perfectly moved. You know, moved mm-hmm. to the beat, and she would just never, never, ever let that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So when did they both start talking to you about wanting to or thinking about what it would be like to make music a career in their lives? Or was that conversation ever had? I don't think we had that conversation. I had lots of musicians in the house. Mm -hmm. So if you think of uh, music as just a language. So so in some houses, people speak German, people people speak Cree, whatever. And, And in our house, there was rehearsals going on. So Faraday was used to hearing that. So she absorbed a lot just by by having um, other musicians in the house. Right. There were uh, at least three female uh, uh, musicians in my house, uh, Susan Bond, Jane Graham, and Wilma Gronin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when Faraday was about, I'm not sure, maybe 11 or 13, in that range, Faraday was singing a song. And she was asking, should she sing it this way or this way? And when she sang it one way, all of a sudden, I heard a perfect slice of Wilma Brown's voice. And I thought, wow, that's just, she's absorbed that, you know, just from hearing it, from hearing it you know, and having, having the experience firsthand. So, Out of curiosity, how did you have all those musicians in your house? Uh, because I'm a musician, and uh, so I've worked with different people. For- but they weren't staying there. No. They were just around a lot. Yeah. Okay. Or you right. produced yeah. some of their albums and yeah. recording them, or yeah. he was playing guitar with them, so they were practicing in the house. I mean, it was just kind of like... Yeah. Okay. A variety of things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and Sandy, um, can you remember, or was that conversation ever had in early days about, gee, can people make a living doing this? I don't think we've had that conversation. One I avoid. Sixty-one. Yes, we'll 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 get on to that shortly enough. Um, you see, you, you didn't have, but in the sort of in the junior high, high school range, once she once Alexis was up and walking for a few years, had a, had a few years of those under her belt. Do you? Do you, was she very involved in music in school? Yes, but I'm thinking more of the drama. That's why they has the, okay. the hesitation. Okay. And so I think there were musicals at the school, too. Well, the thing is, in the French school, we didn't ever... We didn't have a music teacher most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the reason I got started in... Well, Mom put me in... Actually, okay. Music actually has been around for a long time because my parents put me in music in for early childhood classes when oh. I was very little. Okay. Yeah. And then, then like that lasted till I was six or seven. I can't remember. Seven. Seven, really. And then a couple of years later, my dad was selling house for one of his friends. They were moving to Ontario and they weren't able to sell their piano before they left. So my dad's like, "Okay, well, we'll take your piano and try to sell it." Okay. And. The piano never left the house. Right. <laughs> That's likely making up for the one you didn't get. <laughs> but I get to dust, yes. <laughs> well, the thing was, it's like, um, knowing that she had something inside of her, because she was just always vibrating uh-huh. rhythmically. Yeah. Um, 
back in those days, you act, there was, I had to wait till she was three to put her into something with music. So there was nothing from this discovery at 11 months or whatever until she was three. And then in music, early childhood until after that. And then uh, for my husband and I, Bernard, he, we basically said we were not going to be the parents that forced our kids into piano lessons or something. Cause you just hear this all the time of, mm-hmm kids hating to be in it we had we always our philosophy was is if you were that interested you had to ask and when you started to beg then we we sort of took interest (laughs) and then we then we negotiated okay yes because my husband that's what he does for a living (laughs) uh so yes the piano came in our house which was really interesting because it didn't have a piano stool with it and uh there was this uh love seat that had a great big back on it and this little girl she would take this love seat and she'd push it right up to the piano and prop herself on top of the back of this couch Uh and she just started plunking and then the next thing i know she went downstairs to go get her tape recorder with oh i don't know whatever song was on her cassette and brought it upstairs play listen to that try rewind play i mean it was just like that and and within days she was playing whatever was on that cassette mm-hmm. So the negotiation just went that much quicker. (laughs) Who knew that was my negotiating tactic? I'll show them. (laughs) So there was just this natural ability that you you can't you can't ignore. And of course, I guess we just we just always encourage that among our all of our children. And in, in Alexis's case, it was in and through music. Right. Well, but I think that that's not to be dismissed, the fact that you encouraged it, because I I, I don't know that every family does that. I mean, I, I think that if parents have a vision for what they want their child to be, then they tend to steer them in that kind of direction. Uh, but you clearly didn't put those kind of limitations on your kids. No, I don't think so. I think of... Um when, as you were saying, another story popped in my head. I mean, did I envision that Alexis would make a career out of music? No, not back then. She was a child. Yeah. But I think of my father, who uh, we lived, we grew up on this farm, and we had two dugouts, and we moved there when I was four. And, and uh, he basically said, like, you can't go anywhere near these dugouts because you could drown. And so it was extremely important to my father that we learned how to swim. Well, I didn't just learn how to swim. I mean, I became a lifeguard. I was a swimming instructor. And the guy said, I just wanted you to learn how to swim. And sort of this is what this is going on, too, you know, with the music. You just encourage it, and it takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's exactly what happened. Right, right. And, And, Byron, you obviously were ensconced yourself in the arts. So it probably for you to to see Faraday really excel um, in creativity um, and to foster that with her. Yeah, but I, I did uh, same with uh, Sandy. I didn't want to push push music or purposely show Faraday uh-huh. how to do things. Uh-huh. I, I waited until she uh, was interested. So Faraday, you know, at one time was, was it Nirvana songs or Ocean songs or what was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um it was both 13 or 14 yeah. when I wanted to actually learn guitar, like, you know, and so I, yeah. Yeah, so she'd, she'd come to me and she'd say, what chords, can you show me the chords? So I would show her the chords. And she'd just, 
she'd remember all the chords and she could sing, and her only difficulties were mechanical ones, just mm-hmm. and which I thought she has a great capacity for, you know, absorbing a lot of information and then work on it. Right. So, but you got a guitar when you were four. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was doing guitar repair, and uh, somebody uh, brought in three guitars and wanted me to fix one guitar for them and give me two guitars. And one of them was a very small harmony guitar. So it was a Valentine's Day. When I was four. And when you were four. Mm-hmm. So I brought that. I fixed it up. But back for fairly. That's mm-hmm. when she got her first guitar. That's a very vivid memory for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. It's a very vivid memory. I remember him standing in the doorway with it when I was four. Yeah. Pretty exciting. I right. learned one little thing. I sang my brother, Peter Glynn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the other thing that was really funny is actually when Faraday was a lot smaller, and I'm not sure if she was uh, how much older than your daughter or Paulina. Yeah. Um, but when Faraday was learning words, I, I'd have my guitar, so I'd say bridge pins. So then Faraday would say bridge pins, right? So then we would go pick guard, pick guard, <laughs> frets. So we had like you know headstock, frets, lower bout, top bout. Uh, sound hole. You know, we just had all these, and she was just sort of barely saying all these words, but she knew which which each one was. Like, so, where's your nose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no clue about any of that. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's really quite a contrast then between the two of you that you, because this was your livelihood, that you could communicate that. And have that um, commonality of language um, between yourself and Faraday. And then, Sandy, for you, where you had grown up with more of music appreciation, you didn't have that that language commonality between the two of you to discuss instruments. You weren't go opening up the inside of a piano and saying soundboard <laughs> or right hammer, right? But you didn't need that anyway. You No, I would be telling her it needed to be dusted. <laughs> That's very <right. laughs> true. Right. right. So fast forward a little bit more, um, and I'll ask this of Faraday and Alexis. So at what point, now I think I sort of am going to answer my own question here. For Faraday, I, I suspect you, I mean, you've not chosen a nine-to-five cubicle office way of, of making a living. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that was influenced by watching, you know, your dad and how he carved out a living for himself? Because I'm gathering at one point you weren't sort of doing the corporate nine-to-five Right. So, right. so was Whatever. that? Right. Were you were you influenced by by that? Did, did that did his decision influence yours? Hmm. Well, I would think so. I think a big part of it is just that uh, I think there was always kind of an option was always there of not pursuing like the common path, and so I always wanted to be a musician. So it just seemed like natural to keep going in it and. And then, you know, I tried nine to five, but I just, it didn't really fit me. I'm too fabulous to work for someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm glad you're agreeing. No, no, no. (laughs) Listen, you're talking to someone who I I could not even imagine. What about for you, Alexis? Did you you come to, um, oh, that was the ringtone my mom had. And then she couldn't hear it in the mall, so we changed it to something really annoying. 
<laughs> um, Alexis, um, well, in your mind, can you remember when you started to think, what do I want to do? You know, there's not, well, you know, there's that question every parent asks their kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do when for a living? When did you make the decision that this is what you wanted to do? And, and when did you bring your parents into that conversation? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, we didn't have a conversation about it. I think it kind of happened naturally over time. Okay. I just always loved music, and I kept doing things that were musical. And when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to university for music, to be a music teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I couldn't think of another program that I possibly wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I right. didn't put too much thought into it. I'm like, well, music sounds good. Let's right. do that for now. Okay. Um, my, well, I don't know. I think my parents kind of always saw it coming, I feel like. Maybe she doesn't admit it, but because the, the gift I got when I graduated high school was a, my first guitar. Before that, I always borrowed guitars from just terrible sounding guitars wherever I could find mm-hmm. them. <laughs> yeah. So it was my first one. That was that was the gift I, you know, I've sent to Ottawa and University and most, most kids have computers and <laughs> I had a guitar. <laughs> and... Then from university, I discovered this singer-songwriting school and that I think kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of what a queer would look like because I had never seen it in my life. I'd never, I don't think we know anyone who works in the arts. No. I don't think I know anybody who has modeled that lifestyle for me uh-huh. until I went to that school and I was like, oh, this is what it's all about. Okay. And even when I came home, I started teaching. I was a teacher for a year, part-time. I was teaching music and French at the Francophone School in Saskatoon. And then, uh, and at the same time, I was starting my own career. As and I think if there was a decision, it was then. It was it was when I decided to quit my teaching job and be like, all right, well, I don't know what's what this road is looking like at all. <laughs> I kind of know what the components are, and I think I'm an okay grant writer. Let's let's give this a try. Was so, that a tough decision for you? Uh, well. Oh, Sandy's nodding <laughs> emphatically. Yes. <laughs> I guess. But I think it's like any other decision I would, you know, I kind of waited and waited and waited until it was obvious. And in the okay. meantime, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But I think I've become better at listening to to what my heart is really saying. That's a big leap of faith to make. Yeah. To, to get out of something safe. But I was also kind of cornered into saying it out loud at one point. My principal that I was working with sat me down in his office. He says, listen, Alexis, I need to know. Because if you're not going to be around next year, we need to start looking for French music teachers because they're really hard to find. What are your plans for next year? And I was like, <gasps> and then it just sort of came out, I'm quitting. And <laughs> I didn't even, I don't, I, 
it was kind of surreal. It was like I was speaking, but I wasn't. It, it, it's mm-hmm. like I didn't decide to say anything. It just, it just, it just came out. And then I felt so much relief. <laughs> Sandy, did you feel so much relief? No, no, no I didn't. So, what were you going through during that whole experience? Uh, I think our first reaction was, is she's walked away from a permanent position yeah. in the school board. I think that was, the shock of that was, um, uh, it, it was, it was a shock. And it wasn't a negative thing. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, we had to, we had to digest this too. Mm-hmm. Um, we always encouraged Alexis to go to university. I mean, we could, we, the writing was a bit on the wall too. We, we knew that her gifts were, were in that direction, but we just always hoped that she would have uh, some schooling or some formal education in her back pocket that she could pull out when she would need. And so I remember her convincing us or, you know, having this, that part of the conversation, I'm not going back. And you're just like, really? <laughs> it, it, was, it was just like in this day and age, who turns away from a permanent contract? Yeah. I don't even remember it being that decision. I don't remember like thinking at all it was about taking a permanent contract or not. I Me, mean, it was more like, do, I do music or don't do music. Yeah, and you, I don't think she even appreciated what a permanent contract really meant. That's what I think what really happened. Probably not. Okay. That's why I made the leap of faith. I didn't know what I was turning down. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> okay. Clearly. Yeah. But I, you know, I I know we've skipped over a little bit, but I think we would be remiss in yeah. saying. Um, CBC has been very, very good with Alexis yeah. uh, in her formative years um, as a teenager. Um, Specifically, Radio Canada. Radio Canada, yes, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the programming and the opportunities that uh, she was able to get involved in. And, and they have embraced her and taken very good care of her over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that formation, that opportunity that Alexis uh, was involved in for a number of years and still is with Radio Canada... Um, that made Bernard and I feel very much at ease. And as, and as much as the shock was of walking away from a permanent contract, mm-hmm. that's what grounded us was her experience with Radio Canada in knowing that they saw something in her, other people saw something in her. We were constantly being um, uh, people coming to us as parents once they knew who we were because, you know, blonde and, you know, just... Um, <clears throat> just that affirmation of who she is as a person that she developed this all on her own. Mm-hmm. I mean, the support was there and yeah. oftentimes, oftentimes we weren't even there. I, I'm not a Francophone. So I, I wasn't there all the time. And mm-hmm. so it was others that kind of pointed out to me, excuse me, but do you know who this is? And so, you know, sitting up taller and taking, uh, taking a better look. So I really, really do want to say thank you sure. for, for that to Radio Canada to yeah. this day. Um, Faraday, you, I mean, your situation is very different because you live dual lives. There are two sides to Faraday. There's your online marketing Faraday, and then there's your musical career, um, which actually makes quite a lot of sense to me because I think that your, there's a part of your sensibility that, um, fills a gap that a lot of musicians um, don't really have, which is a good, good business savvy. Um, mm-hmm. So I expect that that's, and Byron points to himself. In that regard. <laughs> so that, that must help you or, and have helped, been of assistance to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, that's, that was a big part of my like artistic experience was that I realized that my dad was brilliant 
but he didn't have the kind of business sense that I thought to make, to make it the real career that I thought like the, cause I like money. I like making money uh-huh. and I'm very fabulous. Like I said, so I wanted to, so I had a very young age, I became really obsessed with the music business side of m- music. And then as I kept going, I realized that, um, probably people would pay me more for the marketing and the music, bi- like business side of things. And so I kind of started this side business, um, to support my music career. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what helps me pave the bills and also express actually some, a side of myself that's very creative, which is business. Hugely. You branded, you're a brand. Yeah, exactly. It's very clear what you do. Yeah. And, uh, I have a lot of fun with it and I write stupid ukulele songs, cute, cute (laughs) business songs about, about, uh, yeah. On the ukulele. Firing clients. Yeah. And so I have a lot. I know the firing client one's fabulous. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's how I, um, it's kind of an expression of how, of, of my love of business and music and kind of putting them together. But actually dad does have a really good business sense, just different business sense. (laughs) Right. Have, have you learned from Faraday? Oh, yeah. I'm actually kind of uh, always watching or trying to think, okay, I've got to learn this stuff. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what part of Alexis's career so far um, has taught you things, Andy, if anything? <clears throat> well, I attend way more different kinds of concerts than I ever dreamed possible. I mean, children bring you to worlds and and openings and opportunities that you would never think we have four children so <clears throat> i have one that deals with clouds and cloud forms you know two blocks down from heaven like i <laughs> we're exposed to all kinds of things but for for alexis i guess it's she's kind of eclectic too in 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 her likes and so she uh, she shares that with us mm-hmm. and i'm always very appreciative of it and it carries through in her whole in her whole being uh, we spent a whole day going through antique shops. It wasn't something that I've done recently, mm-hmm. you know, and just showing the elements of different things. Uh, art uh, was another thing because, of course, she took a lot about art or about different expressions of music, and she would tie it into art. And, yeah, I think there's there's no shortage of the gifts that your kids bring to you. Alexis taught you that there's life beyond a meatloaf album. <laughs> Yes, she did. But it didn't take Alexis to tell me that. <laughs> Do you have any meatloaf in your collection? No, I don't. No. <laughs> Actually, I don't, even, I don't think you've ever played meatloaf. Like, we listened to a lot of music growing up. My dad was a DJ. I don't remember meatloaf. I remember meatloaf from my cousin, Rochelle, who had the CD of meatloaf. I'm like, but she invited me over to the cabin because we have cabins close to each other at the lake and... Oh, we want to come, come, come for meatloaf. I'm like, what? What is this? Then she pops in a CD. I'm like, what is this? What is this music? Your dad was a DJ. Yeah, he was. Well, you know, he. I think. Well, you know, I. In in ways that I didn't have models of people in an artistic life in my life, my dad. I've had entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. lots of entrepreneurs. Like mm-hmm. my dad comes from a lineage of entrepreneurship. His his great great grandfather was an architect and you know i think i'm the fifth generation of entrepreneurs so my dad when we we were young like he was a real estate agent but he had all these other side businesses on the go including doing djing on weekends and and i remember sometimes sitting in the car and mom would bring him a sandwich or something or 
He'd be he'd set up all his gear in the living room, making his cassette tapes and like really fast rewinders, and and I'd be helping him pick songs, and it was fun. <laughs> How long did he do that for? Way too long. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sandy and Bernard also did some dancing on the side in competitions. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right. we always hear that. That's a great story. You did a square dancing. <laughs> Ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing. Did you really? No, I'm laughing because I did a whole square dancing group. They're they're huge, yeah. Yeah, and they're doing it on horses now. What? I know, there's this whole equestrian square dancing thing that's happening. Of course, of course. That's something we got to get into on our next record. (laughs) (laughs) The video, music video. That's for Jeffrey Strait. Ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing, diving. Yeah, That's we great. do a lot of that. Yeah, we yeah. used to when well Bernard uh, did some schooling out east, um, improving his French, mm-hmm. and they would take in all these clubs and then go into these competitions, and that was his way of earning money while he was out there. Here in Saskatoon, uh, we did uh, we did do a lot of dancing, and we too would enter into these competitions. I remember one. It was in the wintertime, and CKOM was offering $650 as the prize. And long story short, we did we did win that. We had costumes, and wow. we won for the dancing and all that. And we were so thankful because we had, like, about $47 left in our bank account. So <laughs> it, was, it was really appreciated. But anyway, wow. yeah, we had a lot. That's cool. I, I mean, we've always had music in our family. It's, yeah. always, uh, it's always been there, maybe because the absence in my, in, you know, in my growing up years. But right. to this day, I still don't play an instrument. I can't really read music. I just sing. That's okay. <clears throat> Not everything is in the notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. Do either of you, Byron and Sandy, um, have sleepless nights over your daughter's plural um, choices of of pursuing music and and making a career out of that? Do you? Because, I mean, I'm not alone. I'm, I include myself in this. I'm, I'm, the questions that I'm asking you are questions that I've had to live through in my own life and my own career. Um, but I just wonder if you worry about this kind of a career and do you go back to thinking about those teacher contract days? Is, does yeah. your practical brain no. kick in? No, uh, no, I've never, hardly, never is a strong word. I would rarely worry about Alexis being in music. <clears throat> Sometimes the phone rings, <clears throat> and she's across the country or something, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, surrendering. I more have to deal with surrendering to... What do you mean by that? To letting go. Like, yeah. you want to, it's natural for you to want to protect your child from, and it doesn't matter that your child is... Is a completely mature adult. You still want to protect them, and you know sometimes when the phone rings and there's sadness or fear or anxiety or something on the other end of the line, and, and you can't do anything, yeah. uh, but you listen, yeah. and uh, and then I get off the phone and have a little cry. But I think I think the the punchline is that thank God she called. Right. 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 So I'm always appreciative that uh, the willingness to you know stay connected. To us as a family, not just Bernard and I, but our siblings as well. Mm-hmm. So very, very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the other thing that keeps Bernard and I very relaxed is that she has an extremely amazing work ethic. Mm -hmm. She has a great um, business sense that um, I think her father had those sides of the genes have passed on to her. So that releases or relinquishes the worry aspect because she has a very good business sense. She has a good instinctive sense that I don't need to to worry then. She's a Normand. Definitely. <laughs> You've all got that work ethic. Once yeah, I, I, don't, I don't worry about the, yeah. the, the business side of it. What mm-hmm. I do, what I worry about is some of the traveling. Because if you play a gig late at night and you drive home and the road conditions are bad, yeah. uh, then that's always a danger. Yeah. You know, so that's about the only part that I worry about is, is uh, just the actual life. Right. All right. Because I guess what I'm thinking is there's there is heartbreak. There's undeniable heartbreak of disappointments, things that things you thought you'd land, things you thought you'd book, engagements that you'd hoped you could get that they they said maybe another year. Um, you know, whatever the circumstances, performances that just you know for some reason just fell flat of expectations. And what I find fascinating is our parents are the first people we call at times like that. Um, you know, there, it's always, you're our first point of, of reference in trying to get back on track. You're a compass really, um, for that. And I, would you say that's true, Faraday? Oh, absolutely. I think that there's, you know, even just recently, I'm a new parent myself and, mm-hmm. um, and not so much heartbreak so much as also, there's always decisions. You're constantly almost recommitting to your career in art because you are experiencing setbacks. Mm-hmm. And, and even just recently, you know, I was really thinking about what is my commitment to the Riveters now, now that I'm a mom, mm-hmm. you know, does it make sense for me to put my baby in a car all the time and take her on the road? And my dad and my mom were the people I talked to and mm-hmm. asked, what do you think? Is this what I should keep doing? You know? And, but then I said to dad, oh, and I'm afraid if I leave the group, like this is probably the most successful group I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Maybe this would be the last opportunity I have to do this. And dad was like, yeah, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. You know, and and my dad thought I should keep going in the group. And that was a big part of my decision to recommit, to just keep going, was because my parents are a trusted, trusted mentors in my in mm-hmm. my artistic and entrepreneurship career. And when they support what you're doing, it's a, it's a big, it's a big sign to keep going. All right. Alexis, are there times, difficult times in your musical career where you, you really value your, your parents' input that you, you look to them? Well, I think it's like my mom says, I think the, one of the biggest challenges of getting used to being an artist is the distance between the emotional distances between highs and lows, or even just yeah. highs and neutrals, because yeah, yeah. you're still falling from somewhere high. And yeah. even though you've had such a great experience, it's kind of like, whoa, it's a bummer a lot. So it takes a toll emotionally. And uh, yeah, and, and having mom around and papa and the rest of the family, <clears throat> mm-hmm. just just to know, like sometimes I come back from tour and my sister calls and says, hey, we're having chili tomorrow for supper. You want to come? I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. please. I do not want to cook. I'm so <laughs> thankful that that they just are mindful of, of, of that, you know? Yeah. So it's not just from my parents, but the whole family gets, I think it's also been a learning process because no one's really had an artist in the family before. So right. we ha- having to 
you know, because then they can gauge, oh, Alexis is really stressed out. She's got a grant due. It's okay. I'll just bring her some lunch. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's a way of supporting each other. Right. Um, any pearls of wisdom from you, Byron, and you, Sandy, to people, families that are listening to this podcast who uh, are seeing early signs of creativity in their children and really n- not knowing how to navigate their way through that and living in somewhere in a small town where there may not be a lot of resources. Um, any advice on, on how to, to foster that, that talent without a lot of resources? Well, I think, I mean, every parent can just follow the interests of their own child, whatever, whatever their interests are and just support them in any, any way. Um, you know, for musicians, you need an instrument, you know, and, uh, you know, you need access to information. So, you know, these days kids can do quite well by, you know, looking on their smartphone and mm-hmm. finding music and finding videos on how to play. You know, Alexis was using a, a tape recorder as a way to do it, and that's how I did it. When I was a kid, I didn't know how to play guitar, so I had a tape machine, so... I'd play two chords and then I'd jam on top of it. Yeah. And and then I got to see how a scale was working with those chords. So I built it up myself. Mm-hmm. Someone else would have had music lessons. Someone mm-hmm. else would have, you know, had parents that showed them or teachers. But it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just you can get into it in many ways. So, But you don't have so, to have that conversation of, well, that's nice if you want to do that on the side, but... You should think about what you want to do that's practical <laughs> yeah. for, for a living. Um, you don't have to have that conversation. Or do you think it's important to pose that as a possible scenario? Well, why not do all of it? You know, yeah. try to. I mean, Alexis got training, and then you've also done your own path. So you're covered. you got your bases covered. Right. Right? Fair covered because she's got, you know, her own business, and she's done a lot of music. So... Covered in terms of what she wants to do. So. The desire to eat will come. So. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. right, right. They will, yeah. They, I mean, the yeah. thing is that it's natural to want to make a living. You know? yeah. yeah. But I mean, how wonderful is it to have you know a child that grows up that has something that they're passionate about? Yeah. And want to do whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Right. That's a gift. So. Yeah. Well said. Anything else any of you want to add to uh, along the lines of this conversation? I think it takes a lot of courage to to go out and decide to be an entrepreneur, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it doesn't seem stereotypically like the natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess in our case, um, we were surrounded. It's in the lineage. It's it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Did we expect that this would happen? No, yeah. but. You know, I have three other children, and all what they're doing, I didn't really expect either. So, uh, I think again, it's offering it's offering that unconditional love, and yeah. that takes so many forms. And uh, knowing which battles to fight, yeah. knowing um, you know when to challenge, when to let go. I think we've adopted the philosophy: we give them roots, and we give them wings. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Thanks. 
Hey, it's Kevin. Just a quick reminder that Sascapes is a free download, no matter where you find us. Sascapes has its own app for both Android and Apple devices, and that app can be found in the Apple App Store and Google Play. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Libsyn, as well as many of the other popular podcasting sources. If you like what you're hearing, your comments and star ratings help boost the series in the podcast rankings, so I'd love to hear from you. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. Were it not for my next two guests, one of Saskatchewan's most successful and most prolific singer-songwriters, well, he wouldn't be with us at all. Um, Of course, I'm speaking of Beverly and Glenn Straker, who are the parents of none other than Jeffrey Straker, who is uh, well-known and well-loved in this province and in this country, and one of my former podcast guests. So, hello, Beverly. Hello, Glenn. Hello. Good. Hi. How are you today? I'm excellent. And just so we're clear, this is the first time I've done a podcast via the telephone. So we're not actually face to face. I find you in your home in Panichoy. Yeah, on the farm. Right, right. On the farm. And the population of your town is? About 250. 250, the booming metropolis. Yeah, it's right. kind of going downhill, but. Oh. Like all the rest of the small ones, you know. Right, right. But we we all are united in the fact that we do not change our clocks, which just recently happened. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We're, mm-hmm. sane. We're sane people. We keep it all the same. We keep it the same. We mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah, no kidding. So, um, a few questions I'd like to start with. Uh, we, of course, are all familiar with the immense talent that is Jeffrey Straker. Um, but I want to sort of talk about where that talent was fostered and what role you both played in it. Um, but let's start a little bit before Jeffrey and talk about the two of you. Uh, Beverly, you did you grow up in Saskatchewan? Oh, yes. And did you have a particularly creative family, musical, artistic Otherwise. Oh, my mother is was very is very musical, and um, I guess I inherited her gift because I have a, a, a good ear, and uh, I actually taught myself to play piano starting at about the age five by ear. So when it came time to have formal lessons, I had a terrible time because it was like too much work. I wanted to just oh. listen and play. I didn't want to work at learning notes and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, no, and it's always kind of been a part of me for sure. And, and was, Glenn it, too. was it you or your mom who was a church organist? Uh, it, well, no, it was me. Oh, it was you? Yeah, it was me. And do you yeah, still? Mm-hmm. I still do. I saw, mm-hmm. um, actually, Panachai's church, United Church, closed oh, several years ago. And up to that point, I'd played for them for 25 years. And uh, and now our con- congregation has joined with Raymore, so and they have a an organist, and I sub for her occasionally. So yeah, I still do from time to time. Great. And how about yourself, Glenn? You're also Saskatchewan born. Yeah, right here actually. Uh, I was born in Lestock, which is the next town to us. Uh-huh, so so. Aha. At, at one time, there was a hospital there, an old hospital. There is still 
and I was born in the old St. Joseph's Hospital there. Wow. You and really so all our kids were, your, too. You really stuck their, close yeah. to your roots. And our kids were born there, too, so. All right. All okay. close here. And how about the talent in your family growing up? Well, actually, like, um, we're all kind of, we call it old-time music, like the country yeah. music. Uh, my mother always loved to sing lots, and my dad played a bit of fiddle and a bit of guitar and um, always had a bit of it, so it was always... There was always music in the home, and there was, it was quite common. We had some good neighbors here. Uh, the Crowell family, they had an orchestra all their lives here, so they were neighbors. It was not uncommon for once in a month or whatever, maybe more often, to be kind of a, a late-going fiddle party at, at the house sort of thing. And so lots of people would come from town even out here and, uh, and sing, dance, play, whatever, you know. Did you have the barn dances? No, no barn dances here. It was all just in the home sort of thing. Right. Right. That's fantastic. So there you settled and raised your family there. How many children are in your family? Three. Three. That's two boys and a girl. That's what I thought Jeffrey had said. Right. Yeah. Um, Jason is the oldest one, and then Jeff, Jeff and then Jill. Right. And are the other two uh, creative in any way? Jill is. Jill is, very, Jill is musical and has inherited the ear. And uh, Jason has and a hard Jason, time doing a radio. <laughs> Jason sort of got <laughs> left out of the mix here, poor guy. But he uh, he loves music. Yeah, he does, he does. He has his own uh, he has his own uh, taste sort sort of thing, and which is perfectly fine. And uh, when we had our sessions downstairs uh, with our neighbors and friends and whatever, and he was kind of the sound guy. He'd always be you know arranging or you know checking out the amps or whatever. Anyway. Yeah, so he was always involved, but. As far as playing anything, uh, no, he did. He did take piano lessons for a little, a little bit, but oh boy, he sure didn't like wasn't, it. So wasn't his thing. Wasn't his thing. So right, that right. was uh, yeah. So that's how it was. And over the years too, you talk about music in the family. Uh, it was not uncommon, even like for us, like I'm talking about ourselves and our kids and uh, these friends, the neighbors that play a lot. So we had a lot of musical people here in the area. Uh, we'd go to there's not. This time we rolled to five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we just play all just night. Play all night. <laughs> no kidding. Oh no, no. No, no, I'm serious. Serious. Yeah. And wow. sometimes there would be oh, say, you know, three or four fiddlers and one of our friends played the accordion, and there were a couple of guitars, and then I played the keyboards and whatever. I have a five-string banjo. And they just and, and they just keep going. And I remember one time we played for about eight hours, and we did not repeat a tune. Now go figure that one. No Because somebody always knew something else, and they were everybody had good ear, and they would pick it up, and away we go. And it's the, so much fun. And the kids were around this, so they just oh, yeah. picked it oh, up gosh, by osmosis, yeah. right? Oh yes, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Now right before, in the middle of it. Before I continue, I don't want to miss this opportunity to uh, jump back over to you, Glenn, for a moment, because I I do consider this to be a rather creative and unique talent and outlet. When Jeffrey told me that you called auctions, I was just totally smitten and fascinated by that. (laughs) Yeah, I went over to Alberta to look home. I actually went to auction school. I decided... We were living in uh, Hodgeville. We had a hotel, and there was a time when we sold out, and I wanted to do something, so I went to auction school and tried it, and it turned out to be very good for me. Yeah, they have auctions. before I got finished auction school, an industrial company, auction company come and hired me to go to work. I I had no idea there were auction schools. Yes, Lacombe, Alberta uh, is one 
um, here. Most of the time, people would go across the line to the states, uh, but no, there was there was one in, in Macomb, and that's where I went. And then you get your official papers at the end of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I was figuring out today it was about thirty-seven years ago. Is that right? Yeah, nineteen seventy-nine. I went to uh, my so-called graduation picture, sort of thing. So I would think it would be a particular gift to be able to talk that quickly. Well, <laughs> could be, I guess. Everybody said I should have been an auctioneer. I talked, I talked fast all the time, so <laughs> right. I don't know. It's and something you really have to you think about. It's like anything else. If you want to learn it, you'll learn it. You know, right. it, it will come to you. But there is a bit of a performance pizzazz about calling auctions, is there not? Oh, yeah, yeah. And do you still yeah. do it? Yeah, I, I don't anymore, but uh, at one time, like Jeff, some connection in Regina, the food bank had a big art uh, auction, whatever, in Regina, and he asked me to come, so I went to Regina and just did the auction just per se, just for the fun of doing it. So I could do it in a drop if I had to, yeah. But I, I retired how many years ago, Bev, about if we quit? Oh, gosh. It's a few years now. Quite a few. I don't know yeah. about younger, but about 10 for sure, maybe more. You just kind of get tired of people after a while. You know, there's... <laughs> There's a limit to it all. Did you say you get tired of people after a while? Yeah, I do. <laughs> you do. And then another thing, it's like I helped Glenn with the sales and did the books and stuff. And yeah. when you're when you're working at a sale all day, uh, it's very fatiguing. And the older we got, the harder it got to do. So finally, it was just kind of. I just enough. found it hard on my nerves after a while. I, before an auction sale started, I would be so nervous that I wanted to be sick to the stomach even before the sale started. And Somebody, one old fellow told me one time, I'd tell him an old fellow, I'm an old fellow now, but he told me that that's where it's supposed to be. So if you're nervous, he said, then you're, you're good and you're getting better and you're worried oh, to do it right. Right. I think that's and true. It, it got worse after, but uh, I could do it at a drop of a hat or somebody said, come and do it. I, you know, I could do it for him sort of thing. Tell me, did you ever see somebody buy something outrageously expensive and then regret it afterwards? Many times. You can't take it. You can't take it back, can you? No. No, you can't. No. Uh, it's, it's, it's buyer beware. Like you, uh, you're supposed to take a look at it before you buy it, and uh, if there's a problem. But I have it at maybe one or a couple points in time hmm. where somebody bought something is oh, well, it was an antique, and with, that, with antiques, you have to you, like you have to be very honest at any given time. But you have to tell people like, has it got a chip, or say it's say it's. Uh, China or whatever, mm-hmm. and you should tell them if it's like a hairline crack or to someone, you should say it's there. You know, because some people, I had one lady got really angry with me, and I said, well, did you look at it? And she goes, no. Well, I said, well, really, it's your fault, but I said, I'll take it back, but I, I also told her that I wouldn't be taking her bid anymore, and it was over. Wow. Wow. So let's um, let's talk about Jeffrey a bit, um, and I okay. throw this open to to both of you to answer. Can you recall um, the earliest of years when Jeffrey started displaying um, his creative talent? Oh, oh gosh, when he was about two or three. Yeah, really. You know, the music was the music. The well, musicality there. was coming out in him quite very obviously when he was very very small, very young. Right. He could sing, he could carry a tune, he loved dancing and rhythm and, you know, anything to do with music. He just loved it. Right. And was even he... with even with skating and hockey, like he could play and he could play very, very good. He was always very strong and fit. But he'd rather he'd rather be involved, say, in a nice carnival where there was music and 
Uh, and show, you know, showmanship, uh, showmanship rather than... If you were there, yeah. they could just shine. That was his... Uh, that, yeah, he just loved it. And he was the kind of person where they'd say that you have to tell him to practice lots and know we had we had to tell him to get off the piano and leave it alone already. <laughs> That's so how it was. Did he... Do you think he preferred hockey more than music? No. Oh, no, never. No, he quit. He just said, no, he... Music was his thing. He did it because he played hockey because all his friends did. And I think if if it wouldn't have been that, he probably would have just skipped it all together. But he yeah. did it, and it was it was actually good to have good for him to have some exercise and to get out there and you know be with his friends and stuff. But um, he was always physically fit. Even to this day, he runs. He runs unbelievably every day. He's like long top long distances. He just runs and runs. He is a bit of a ever-ready battery uh, bunny. Pretty much, yeah. He's just a spaz. You call him a spaz. Yeah. You call him a spaz. Yeah, pretty much. He's kind of spazzy. He just goes. Even if he'd come home and say during the summer, Mm -hmm. whenever he could get here, he would never be in the house. He'd be out trimming in the trees or cleaning brush along the lane or doing something. He'd just be be on the go. I think we call that A-type personality. Oh, very much, yeah. 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 Just go, go, go. Yeah, for sure. So and something I thought of about you were talking about the other kids with music, it wasn't uncommon that Jeff would sit and practice and practice and practice, and after he was done, Jill would come from around the corner someplace after he was gone, and she'd sit down to the piano and play the tune. Well, But she could pick up the color of music yeah, really pretty yeah. fast. You know, yeah, she, she has a very good ear. She was a good ear there, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that gift of the ear is not to be dismissed because it, it sometimes can be... Just as valuable, if not more, than you know the actual trained schooling that one goes yeah, through. Right. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, know yeah, what's on sure. page, yeah. But to be able to improvise and have that gift of the ear is really, really mm-hmm. key. Mm-hmm. So, I know the last time that Jill was home here, had a little girl here, a granddaughter, and she was downstairs, and she went over and she started playing the piano, and I said, when did you ever play the piano last? She said, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, really. for sure. Uh, is she fostering um, the same musical appreciation in, in her daughter? Uh, not yet. She's only two and a half. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh our, our granddaughter? The, the granddaughter, yeah. you mean? Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. She's but, a musical oh, little. Oh, she, oh, she loves music. Yeah. yeah. And sings, you know, carries a tune. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's got all the, all the traits. <laughs> we always hear about that from people. We always think, oh, yeah. another chill. Yeah. Now, so. Jeffrey, I remember Jeffrey talking about one of his um, piano teachers growing up. This would have been when he was a little older. Okay. Um, was Pretty it... young? Yeah, like sort of when he was starting to get near high school, was he... Oh, in high school, that was uh, Dawn McTavish. Yeah. She lived, lived uh, close to Raymore. Mm-hmm. On the farm, yeah. And, uh, and she taught him, um, I'm thinking... From I think he took up to say about grade three. I'm talking about piano mm-hmm. with Mrs. Young, and then she sent him off to Mrs. McTavish, who got him through his grade eight piano. And by that time, he was in about grade nine in school, I think. And then she uh, kind of brought him through his grade eight, and then she sent him to the university or to the conservatory in Regina, oh, where he yeah. finished off. He he was there all through high school. He took his lessons in, in Regina. So were you driving him back and forth to Regina? Yes, we, we were. Did. We did. Yes, we did. Finally, at one point, he moved in and stayed there. And uh, well, that, that worked. Was, that was when he was done school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, we did, and it, and it was for le- it wasn't only for lessons, but in the springtime when recital time came and and music festival time came, then it was 
like sometimes three, four days in a row, yeah. you know, he'd be back and forth, back and forth. And, and he not only would be in the Regina Music Festival, he'd be in the Last Mountain one yeah, for, for our, our area as well. So mm-hmm. then, you know, we'd be involved with that. So it was a, a really big commitment. Yeah, it was, but it was fun. I didn't, didn't mind it. We didn't, didn't, we didn't, we didn't, didn't mind one minute of it. I didn't like it, yeah. Yeah, no, it yeah. was great. Well, I think it's it's important to point out that, first of all, the role you both play and parents play in general in in doing that legwork for a child, for appreciating their talent so much that you that you want to see them thrive is oh, just sure. as important, I think, as, you know, we all are quite familiar with the with the parents that get up at 5.30 in the morning and go off to the rink with their kids for you know, right. sports. Exactly. And I think yeah. we tend to think of that as being the 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 uh, quintessential kind of commitment to your kids. But right. music is just as big a deal and just as big it a commitment. Is. It is, yeah. Yeah, it sure. is very much so. Yeah. And, and your equipment it can be pretty darn expensive when you're talking about a piano. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So at what point... Do you remember, or did you at all have a conversation with Jeffrey about, now, is this something you want to do for a living, or you should be thinking about studying something a little more practical, a little more predictable, a little more safe, uh, and do this as a hobby? No, no. He was, he was actually, he's always liked music, and we knew it, he loved it, but as we found out in time, when he moved to Toronto, he was working with Procter & Gamble. Yeah. That's when he had finally made his big move to say, "Yeah, that's what I'm going to do." Yeah, um, um, I had my train of thought got sort of lost here. Very sure. Um, it, it was. Hmm, I don't know. It might have been. I, I don't. He didn't really talk to us about it, but no. I think between him and his music teacher that he had in Regina, like when he was in high school, I think between the two of them, they kind of decided that. You know, uh, a classical pianist um, as a classical piano as a career was pretty a pretty small niche there. You know, and yeah. uh, did he want to pursue that, or did he, you know, or what? But so, I remember Frank Crumley, that was who you're talking about. He yeah. he wasn't happy about it when he found out Jeff was playing other music. Though I remember being at the conservatory one time, and he saw Frank and Frank kind of looked at us the time Jeff was trying to make a small CD and. Uh, he was pretty set on his way that it was classical. But Jeff, in the end, said, I found out that you know, it, it wasn't what it was going to be. like. Everybody made it to be such a thing. But there were so many people that would go to these concerts from Regina and play classical. Yeah. It was all, every kid was the same, was the same, was the same. And well, Jeff just loved music, period. You have to, life is too short to not play what you're absolutely enthralled and in love with. Right. Yeah. I think I think we we tend to gravitate toward the the classics in music because that's that's the proper way to study. But at some right, point, right. Yes, you have exactly. to make that decision to think: is this enough? Is this in my blood enough, or is mm-hmm. is there another genre of music that really really mm-hmm. uh, yeah. sets me afire? But he did not. He did a degree in something yes. very practical. He did, and that was he, was a plant took- biology. His degree with science, yeah, biology, yeah. <laughs> which I, which I thought you couldn't get more, you know, sort of left brain, right brain. Well, I think it. what, yeah, I think what happened was he just sort of got burnt out and tired of it all, and he, I think he just thought, well, I'm just going to work in a lab or whatever, you know. Like he just, I think he just sort of pulled himself away from it, although it was still deeply in his soul. Um, he just kind of, and and anyway, that's what he pursued, and I guess he was thinking more of. 
a career and making a living and, you know, as opposed to um, being a musician kind of thing. At that point, I don't think he realized that he could do it mm-hmm. and, you know, and support himself and just with his music kind of thing at that point. Um, but once he got, once he got a little bit older and was in the music scene in Toronto and saw what was happening, and then he just developed a little bit more self-confidence and he, uh, yeah. And he got, more or less got involved with people in Toronto that were right. into the other kind of music and they realized that, hey, there is another avenue. Yeah. And uh, I think some of the little rockers he met over in time, uh, we, we know of today, they got to know him and got to talk to him and he liked what they did and he found out, hey, there is something else out there and he liked it very much. And they helped steer him also in their own kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So where were your heads at during this whole process? Were you just the kind of parents that thought, whatever you're doing, as long as it makes you happy, that's good with us? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, but I, it wasn't that I didn't think he could do it, but I was thinking, oh, my gosh, because he had a really good job at Procter & Gamble. Like, it was He'd great. He and make it over. And he now. was, you know, and he was playing music on the side, which is something he could do, you know, and he was, mm-hmm. you know, out on weekends and playing with bands and this and that and having a whale of the time, and I thought, oh, he's got the best of two worlds. Yeah. And uh, so I, I sort of thought, oh, you silly boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the same time, I supported him, you know. Yeah, but he, when he left Procter & Gamble, they were almost, the lady who was his boss, he told me, she was in, his t- in tears when he said, I'm leaving. And she said, whatever you do, don't go to work for somebody else. If you quit music, come back to us. Yeah, like, so he had that cushion, yeah. you know. Right. And he gave he gave himself two years mm-hmm. when he started off on his own, you know, on on his musical career, so to speak. And he gave himself two years and he thought, well, if it doesn't do anything in that span of time, then I'll just go back to what I was doing. So, and then, but he was very persistent and he just kept on going and he had some ups and downs, but it was just a gradual, you know, gradual uh, process in the right direction. And gosh, things really worked out well for him. So during uh, some of those, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. He's he's a very, he's got a very, really good sharp head on him. He's, like business-wise, management-wise. And I know some time ago when he was still in Toronto, he and a young lady, I don't know her, but we know of her, and uh, they started doing some work together. And actually, Sony called him in and said, you know, you people should go on the road and you should have uh, seminars and, and teach a lot of these young people who are in music about managing themselves with Absolutely. music and, and to know what they're doing, what they're doing wrong. He never did, but they told him. So, you know, just in that context alone, we knew that he was... His head was in the right, you know, place. Well, I suspect that a lot of the um, business savvy and marketing savvy that he is so very good at came from his time at Procter and Gamble. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because he was he was in management there already. He right. kind of, and and that too he kind of fell into because of course his degree was science and he did um, and he applied for an internship at uh, Park, Procter and Gamble I think in his third. He, third summer off in university and uh, just just on a whim, you know, just thought, oh, well, you know, I need a summer job. Maybe they'll, maybe this would work, but not really hope, not really thinking anything would come of it and be, and be darned. They hired him. And then when the season, when the summer was over and he had to go back for his last year, they said, uh, keep us in mind, you know, we, you know, we'd sure like to have you come back permanently. And that's what he ended up doing. So. Because at one point in time when he was in management with them, he, he would sit in a plane. They, well, they had a private jet, and uh, they'd he'd fly off to Cincinnati. Next time he'd be in Vancouver at the meetings and that stuff. And 
was that's the life he was leading. He was doing very well. Now we did we laughed a lot when we uh, did the podcast together, but he he did joke about you know during that two year time frame that he gave himself, there was a lot of uh, a lot of sleeping on sofas and craft dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh right. yeah. So you know, let you guys grew up in a in a different time where you know probably um indulging oneself in in one's bliss might not have been as common as just kind of getting out there and rolling up your sleeves and working on the farm and doing something well darn right practical so mm-hmm. we, what do you remember how you felt during those lean times i mean did your heart kind of ache for him thinking oh gosh i hope this works out for you oh yeah oh yeah for sure oh you yeah. like when he was out of like i said he went to the conservatory had a partner john like we'd haul food to him and do whatever and do whatever he needed, we'd be there with for him, sort of thing. And you know, so whatever we could do, we, even in Toronto, we'd do what we could do. He, uh, like when he first started music full time, like he started back out here in Saskatchewan. And so he came and moved into the basement down here for, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of months or yeah, it wasn't very long. Right. And uh, so that's, you know, that was kind of his first, first place to kind of hang his hat. And um, yeah, and you know, you just sort of, I, I don't know. It was just sort of a day-to-day thing. Like, he just thought, oh, well, okay, you know, he's going to do another concert tonight at such-and-such such a place and whatever, and you just kind of go along with it. And I I don't really remember um, thinking one way or the other that, um, um, oh, this poor guy, he's, you know, he's just so down and out, and mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so sad. I just kept thinking, well, you know, this is one day, and then the next day is going to be something else, and so on and so forth. And that was just sort of a gradual um, evolvement sort of thing, not not something that was just sort of cut and dried, if you get what I yeah. just... Well, he must have gotten all of that smart sense from you guys. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, I hope so, but you never know. Well, no, I, I think, I think that's probably how you raised him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so now here he is being so darn successful. Do you? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think I already know the answer to this question, but uh, mm-hmm. are, are, do you have any? Do you have any concerns or worries, or do you, as a mom and dad, just kind of somehow somehow feel? Even the amount of traveling that he does, just knowing that you want him to stay safe. And... Um, no, I just—it's his life, and um, he's just—he's um, happy, and he's doing what he wants to do, and uh, and he, you know everything seems to be working out well for him. And and if travel is involved in it, well, go to it. And yeah, he loves it. It's something he's always loved doing anyway, so yeah. I don't think it's that big a deal for him. Well, only one thing I think some. Sometimes he, he drives himself too hard, mm-hmm. but I guess nothing we can do about it because he'll only do it himself. But he right. does. We know he works really, really hard, and I figure sometimes too hard. Well, there's nothing you know, wrong. Yeah, but, there's nothing wrong with a good work ethic, and sometimes. Oh no! no. no. Oh no! No, not no, at all. No. But even one time, one of his, his drummer told me. He said, "You know," he said, "Jeff just drives himself too hard. It's almost too bad that he didn't have somebody to do some of his work for him because he he does. He works every little aspect of being a musician in a band, whatever." He does it himself. He has nobody do anything for him. Yeah. yeah. So he said that that time. He said to me, he said, well, I think sometimes it's good for him to have a break, but then Jeffrey is so into what he's doing that nobody's going to tell him. I mean, anyway, he's, you know, he's, it's going to be like he wants it. So the best yeah. way to do that is do it yourself. I, I think, 
I think I'm not dissimilar in that breaks for me are just uh, mm-hmm. a moment to think of what I should be doing instead of having a break. So it's just yeah. easy yeah, to yeah, keep going yeah. instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what is, I'd like to pick your brains on some sage advice that you have for other <laughs> parents who um, are spotting natural gifts uh, of, mm-hmm. of creativity in their children and and sort of how do you... How do you just sort of let go and just um, as long as the as long as your child's not doing anything dangerous or harming mm-hmm. themselves to just sort of trust the process enough to to encourage it and not have expectations of of you really put upon pressed upon your child of doing something that's well something close to perhaps what what you did for a living or keeping a business, something in oh, okay. the family, you know, keeping people sort of tied down mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. rather than just giving them wings and, and letting them soar. How do you, how do you, any advice for parents who have struggled with that? Um, I don't know if I could give any advice, but I just say go for it. You know? I would tell them to go for it, but at the same yeah. time, help them, but don't push them in any one direction. Let them feel it just like Jeff. Let them find out for themselves. But do we think about it though? Like they've got to figure every avenue when they're going in direction. Don't go because rock is the thing, sort of thing. You know, don't think I got to be a rock star. First of all, go to be a musician and be a personality and be honest with yourself and everybody else. And I think the rest will fall in place. Oh, and another thing, like when Jeff was uh, was was studying, when he was doing all his um, his lessons and his performances and his recitals and his music festivals, et cetera, et cetera. There were um, there were kids that you know that he performed against or played with or whatever whose parents were very pushy, and yeah. they were you know they, they were stage parents like they really yeah. they really put pressure on their kids and they, they wanted them to win and you know blah blah and some of them would be get get quite out of joint you know if their child didn't win or at least place or you know whatever. And we, I just was never like that. I just thought well, the worst part is those kids in the end. As long as they do their best, and yeah. what happens happens. You even know? to this day, like we, if he's playing in the area, we go to all his shows. You do. I even had one person come to me and said, one of the girls who played cello with him. She said, "Do you come to all the shows?" And I said, "If they're close by, we sure do because we love them. So we do. We love the music. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it too. Showing up, show your appreciation for what he's done." You must have been thrilled when he won the international songwriting competition. Oh, that was so exciting. <laughs> Yeah. Did you go? Yes, that was very exciting. You mean like chili? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I got on the computer here and I worked for nights and nights and nights until I figured out how I could get it live, and I did. Yeah, we watched it on online um, each night, and it was the, the time difference was I don't know quite a quite a About few hours. Three so, hours in the morning. Oh my gosh, it was it was tiring, but oh, it was so good. Yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah, that was a pretty great moment for him too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you said about not, um, I think the, the danger in, in trying to have expectations of your child to do something sensible rather than letting them, letting them find their own path, but also not to push them on that path right. and do no, that no, no. stage no. parenting. You can right. squelch it just as easily that way. And right. nothing worse than a life lived with a bunch of unrealized dreams. Right. You know. For sure. He's very lucky to have both of you just sort of be able to do that. I, I, I think some parents just would worry so much that they just couldn't 
couldn't have that ability to just sort of let them go and yeah i know well, that happens I know. even in, in everyday things like the same kind of parents could be have the kids say involved in hockey and they're there yelling and screaming at them <laughs> for doing this or doing that wrong and that could happen with this and it does but yeah. you shouldn't um I, I think too that you know we both feel that he was raised decently and has good values and um and has a good head on his shoulders and he has a good education and he's he's he can think and decide and do things for himself quite, quite, quite oh, yeah. well. And uh, you know, I just trust him. I just trust my yeah. kids and He's trust that good. they're doing the the right thing for themselves. And they all have they're all think, done well. well. Like they have all three different directions, but they've all had a good head on their shoulders. That, well, we did the best we could, and um, you know, now they're adults. It's up to them. But if they have that basis, then they're going to do okay. Well, you couldn't get more sensible than that. <laughs> Well, that's good to hear. It's <laughs> fantastic. Well, I guess. Mm-hmm, go ahead. I was just going to say, I guess we raised our kids the way we were raised. You know, with just good, down to sensible values and. Um, whole country, whole and, country upbringing sort of thing. You know, you work hard and you get results and you, you know, you just sort of, I don't know. It's uh, just the upbringing, I guess. Now, how many people in the day when you were growing up were went off to have a career performing? Oh, actually, in my day, um, I remember in high school there was one boy who was taking, he was studying classical piano, and he played, you know, every once in a while at school assemblies or whatever. And I was just, I thought he was just the best thing ever. But he became a minister. He never did go on <laughs> to do any performing, um, and that was it as far as. I can remember. And my kids around me, I had nobody, nobody. Yeah. Just neighbors, like I said. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think if you go back generations, I mean, of course, we've never been for a lack of, lack of uh, worldwide talent in any generation, right, right. but certainly growing up in, you know, rural Saskatchewan, it was some, not something that you often heard of. Right. Or even thought of, you know, like in all my life, I never thought of anybody around me or in a family being that good to be a performer on stage anywhere, you know. They were just good enough that you had a good time. They sat down to play music with them, and you all played the same. Well, you can study and study with the best, but I do think at the end of the day that innate musical talent is genetic. So it obviously oh, yeah. runs I, in the water. Yeah. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. but yeah, I was going to say something to a fact. Remember that we used to play a lot of music in this house. Still a piano downstairs, like a bass guitar, uh, fiddle, laptop guitar, uh, five-string banjo, all the stuff still sitting there, like from the days we used to play. Yeah, and that matters hugely. I mean, just just taking that stuff in through osmosis, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. All of yeah, that. you're right, exactly, because yeah. it becomes sort of part of you. <clears throat> yeah, no, it does. Well, yeah. it's a pleasure talking with both of you. Yeah, you too, very much. And continued success to you both. And Thank you. In your retirement. Um, yeah. Although, Beverly, I understand you're still teaching. Well, I do off and on. I sub. Right. Yep. So, right. You uh, see, and even, I like... even you, we can't stop. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, I'm and my, sure. And my thing is, I'm not teaching or whatever, but I, as soon as the water runs, we have a trailer up by Nippon, and uh, our boat is up there, and I just love the fish. Uh, yes, that's, well, that's my relaxation of life. 
I am maritime born and bred, so I understand. Oh, good for you. For you. Where about? I grew up in Halifax. Oh, okay. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that will that will always be home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. So I understand the allure of fishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very much. That was something we always did too as the kids. Is uh, when we had the hotel here in town, you'd uh, we had a motorhome, and it's lots of times Friday evening the motorhome was in the driveway ready to go. Most hooked up, and we always took them out to the lake, and we always went together. When was the last time you went on a fishing trip with Jeffrey? It's time for one of those definitive father-son fishing trips. Oh, it'd be great. It's yeah. a like Jason, the older boy, he loves it too, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, we've all I'd seen see that happen. We've all seen what he can do on water recently. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> Okay, well, pleasure to talk with you both. Thank you so much for and sharing you your too. experience. Yeah, you too. We'll okay. maybe talk again. Okay, okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. It's so exciting to see Sascapes being downloaded by a global audience. Remember, if you're in Saskatchewan and have a story that needs to be heard, contact me about how you can become a sponsor. Stories from our past and our present, they're all waiting to be told from here in the land of the living skies. So, until next time... 